Hey, how's it going? It's the Peace Coast Podcast. We're back here at Out of the Blue. Also known as Into the Music at Out of the Blue Gallery. And uh, we're listening to a beat that will go unnamed for now. And there's a very exciting show here tonight. It's the Fall Equinox Show. And it's featuring several bands, including... Woody, who I hope we'll speak to a little bit later. Um, we also have Sound Shaman, Karnam, who I hear is going to perform with a dancer, and we have Ghost Machine Noise. And that's at 541 Massachusetts Avenue, Cambridge, Massachusetts, United States of America. And I say United States of America because you never know. We have international guests at the shows we have here. And right now I'm with Mary Ocher, who traveled all the way from Berlin, Germany. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. It's funny that you mentioned that we are in Cambridge, USA, because I keep coming to all these towns that are named after places in England and France, and I feel really confused. I know. I I imagine that can be confusing. I'm not as well-traveled as you, so... But Cambridge, I think, you know, the the one in England is also a university town, yes. as this is. Uh, so I'll have to check out Cambridge in the United Kingdom at some point. <laughs> have you been to Cambridge, England? Uh, actually, I have not. Oh. No. Um, Maybe we can both do a show there. Yes. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. We can swim over there. We can start swimming now. Yeah. Swim the English Channel or the... Atlantic Ocean. Ocean. <laughs> They'll seems take a some more time. <laughs> well, it seems that both of us are committed. I think we'll we'll be lifelong artists and uh, keep pushing the sound forward. I hope. <laughs> um, and you know, I like the sound of water. Maybe if I can get some samples while swimming and not drown, that would be great. I know they have underwater <laughs> cameras. I don't know how many underwater sound recorders are on the market right now. It's funny. I was actually just talking to Anda, who's one of our performers tonight. And she was talking about recording sounds underwater. Interesting. See, this is the type of creative environment we have here at Out of the <laughs> Blue. A lot of artists thinking outside of the box. Now... I think your music would be maybe considered by the average consumer of art to be maybe outside of the box or something new, some original kind of uh, perspective on sound and music. I mean, would you would you say that that happens naturally or that's something you would consider yourself to be a part of is like pushing <laughs> things forward? Oh, it's a, it's a difficult question. People always come up to you and they ask you, how would you define your music? And that's always a challenge because you don't know how familiar they are with sort of the history of contemporary or like popular culture. Right, right. So you kind of don't know which terms to use. So then I usually tell them that it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Or if they keep investigating, I tell them it's experimental. Right. But really, it's such a broad term that it's really hard to kind of tell people what it is exactly that you're doing. Well, we have some time now. So, I mean, there's got to be like actual processes. So if I was going to say pop music uh, in the traditional form 
that maybe people know a little bit about the behind the scenes. There's articles written about how Rihanna comes up with a song and it's like the label hires writers and producers to go to a writing and production camp in Holy the woods shit. to some studio and then they once get a 12 year old child to write the lyrics. Yeah, well, I actually did hear that a young German teenager wrote Bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna. That is a story I heard. But, but you know, overall, it's very considered and calculated. Yes. And these people are experts at making pop songs. And I assume they start on a piano and maybe they add drums and bass. And, you know, of course, some elements of new sound synthesis and it's getting maybe more experimental than it was in the past but your process how would you say you you know start a song or start playing with sound <sighs> i probably do exactly the same thing as these hired songwriters do right um i mean that's kind of what i was doing when i was like 13 or 14 years old mm -hmm. and i thought i would probably be one of these people when i grow up because popular music and like the stuff that was on the radio was pretty much what we were exposed to as teenagers and we didn't have the internet yet right so um i suppose i still kind of approach songs the same way uh -huh. i always get new toys to play with so always an instrument that I'm really not familiar with, which always kind of gives it a new element. Yeah. Um, and how do you decide what toys that, y you know, do they find you or do you, do you go out looking for them or, you know, what what are uh, these toys? Well, I usually sort of have a goal. I always go like, I need to get this particular instrument because it does this amazing thing and I would really like to figure it out. And I never do. It always <laughs> does thousands of things that I'm not, aware of right <laughs> and i just kind of learned those really basic functions and i stick to them that's cool but uh but there's always more to explore yeah for sure i know you were looking for a keyboard for your show tonight so how has it been on tour uh trying to find a keyboard is that every night or is that just tonight <laughs> well i always tell the promoters that if there is a piano or keyboard that sounds like a real piano I, I'll, I'll be happy to play it because uh -huh. that means i can play the piano songs as well um surprisingly on this tour i think every single show except for one or two was able to provide either a piano or a keyboard which was amazing yeah <laughs> well i think you came to the right place there's actually two upright pianos here wow and i've gotten more involved just in the last week here at at out of the blue and and i have a few keyboards last night tj who's the manager here showed me this giant it must be 88 key like digital piano in his trunk <laughs> and i was like oh mary ultra might want to use it does, does he just drive around with it no he was just <laughs> transporting it from his house to his studio but uh, the timing was cool. impeccable um <laughs> So you can think of Cambridge as a resource for your next U.S. <laughs> tour because uh, yes. we have, s you know, places to record and experiment <laughs> and just just never leave, Mary. Stay. No, but um, forever. There's a lot of vegetarian options here as well. That's which true. Is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you been enjoying the U.S. <laughs> tour? How has uh, I, I actually watched a little uh, question and answer video of yours the other day, and it seemed like people were curious as to what you were eating. 
And you said, oh, I just woke up. I haven't eaten anything today. <laughs> Do you oh, remember yes. making that video? Yeah, that was uh, a little something I had to make for, for the show in Detroit. Oh, but you were <laughs> in Indiana. Yes, I right. made it like a day in advance. Nice. Um, yeah, that was completely last minute. <laughs> but a day in advance is pretty good. It's not bad. It was, it was really difficult to find, uh, well, to make the time and then find an internet connection. Right. Because <laughs> when you're on tour, it's really hard to plan. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, I have a friend who's an American and he's touring Europe right now. And he was just kind of on social media saying, hey, it's not all flights and flowers. It's, you know, a lot of emailing and oh, this person didn't respond. and I'm supposed to go to Zurich or something. And, you know, so how has like. Be being on tour been and is this your first u.s tour oh no this is my third oh, like wow. third big one um so far it's been surprisingly smooth nice. there were no strange incidents i met tons of sweet people and a lot of really encouraging comments and it's been really really good so far it's been my favorite tour awesome <laughs> well third time's the charm right do you have that phrase in Germany? Actually, in Hebrew, they say um, third time ice cream. Ah. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> so there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> so I, I noticed you're originally from Tel Aviv. Is that correct? Uh, well, I'm originally from Moscow. And Moscow. then my parents moved to Tel Aviv when I was four. Uh huh. So I grew up there. Oh, wow. And then uh, when did you move to Germany? Uh, when I was 20. Mm-hmm. All right. Which was like eight years ago. <laughs> so your childhood, you were saying earlier, you kind of experienced pop music. What What do you think like were the seeds besides like listening to the radio? What were some of your first experiments or what were the things you think about your childhood that made you <laughs> want to be a musician or an artist? Oh, Gosh, that's really tough. I mean, I was a really, really tiny kid <laughs> when I started telling people that I'm going to be an artist when I grow up. Uh -huh. But I always thought I would be a painter. That right. was sort of my idea of an artist. I, I, I just thought I would do visual art. And then around maybe third or fourth grade, a new kid joined our class. And she started getting more compliments than me oh. on her drawings. Because usually I would sort of walk up to the blackboard and start drawing on it and then kids would always be like oh this is so wonderful uh can you do this can you do that and then this right. girl started getting more encouragement oh. and then i felt really frustrated and then i was like damn i have to do something else right. that other kids can't and then i started writing songs cool <laughs> that's I pretty sad isn't it yeah i mean i had a similar <laughs> uh, i had a similar situation earlier kindergarten or something i had to <laughs> redirect my identity from illustrator to uh you know I, I don't know it took me a few years to figure it out but um <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i mean that's interesting you know we do uh create things uh from you know i guess our personal skill set and our personal experiences but also uh for validation from others our classmates our peers probably first of all uh, maybe our parents. Um, so what were those like first songs like? Were you just singing or <laughs> was there music? 
I started by recording kind of a cappella things into little cassettes. Ah. Just like this voice recording thing. Uh-huh. Um, that was around the age of 11. And I kept doing that for maybe two or three years until I got myself an acoustic guitar and a keyboard. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I was the same um, in a way because I think that we're lucky. We're, we're similar ages and when we were growing up we had cassettes and like i have a simple boom box here um the one i had when i was a child had a microphone input so i was able to like record songs from the radio maybe do my own commentary <laughs> and here i am with my own podcast now <laughs> learning how to do it digitally but a lot of kids these days they just have usb sticks or ipods mm -hmm. they don't have you know a place to plug in RCA cables and learn how to work with sound on a very tactile and, you know, handmade level. Mm -hmm. um, so how has kind of your early experimentation with cassettes and recorders like made its way into your adult life and your music career? Oh, I wish I had experimented more with the analog aspect of it, but I really didn't at that point care uh -huh. so much about that. Right. Um, so the quality of the sound was kind of lost on me when I was a kid. Right. Um, I was just reading David Byrne's book, How Music Works, and he has an entire chapter on, on cassettes, mm -hmm. basically, and the way the music industry panicked about people copying other people's music. Right. Like the first piracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then sort of Ariel Pink made cassette sounds cool again, and everybody started copying him. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I I guess he did. Is he the one? I think he did. I think it was sort of him who, I mean, at least like when he started doing it, it became big. Right. Yeah, a lot of bands now and a lot of, you know, hip-hop artists, a lot of people are releasing cassettes again. And I'm curious as to, you know, how people are getting cassette players. If it's not in their car... Or, I mean, I guess you can go to a thrift shop. That's what I do. But, you know, the people aren't really manufacturing cassette players anymore. But they are manufacturing cassettes. So it's kind of interesting that they have this second life. Well, I think the main reason is because a lot of people, especially in North America, own cars. In Europe, people don't really drive their own car. They mostly use public transportation. Right. <laughs> I'm going to show you something that I have here in the podcast studio desk, <laughs> Mary Ocher. And I want to see if you're intrigued by it. Where is it? Da, da, ah. da. Da, da, da. Wow. Here it is. We've got a amazing recording Sony Walkman. Wow. So it's, it's like a bigger version of probably what you used as a child. No, I actually had no, pretty that much size? the same size. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. mini cassettes. It was like oh, proper full cassettes. Oh, full-size cassettes. Cool. Yeah, and I would take them to school excursions and listen to cassettes and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. And we have Woody's cassette here. Oh, nice. So have you released any cassettes, Mary? Um, well, an American label made a cassette edition of my last album. Cool. What's that label called? Um, they're called Related Records, and they're based in Phoenix, Arizona, and they do mainly cassettes. Nice. And how? Uh, I imagine you've you've come up to speed since the cassette era, and you seem to be pretty attentive to your uh, 
you know, at least your Facebook artist page and, you know, the Internet in general. So how are you connecting with people? I know you have another uh, release on on Faust's label coming. Yes. So how are you connecting with some of these people that have record labels or even promoters when you're planning a tour? What's what's your kind of game plan for, like, getting your music out to the world in a way? Oh, goodness. I mean, you first try the people that are closer to you that have worked with friends or with friends uh, people that recommend other people right so i would say that the first thing you do is reach out to these people right um who i imagine you know because you're actively doing shows in your local area uh well i actively do shows kind of everywhere except for my local area oh okay <laughs> but are you going to shows are you going is there a scene that you would um, say you're a part there of there are tons of scene i wouldn't say that i'm part of any of them but <laughs> uh, but I constantly find myself in new scenes, which is cool. fascinating because there's there's so many of them, mm -hmm. um, and I always find it really strange that they're not always connected to one another, even right. when they're in the same region. And in particular, in in Europe, I feel like um, like the Ukraine should know about what's happening in Russia, and Russia should know about what's happening in Poland, and they right. don't. Right. What yeah. just particular bands maybe have contacts, but yeah, that's interesting. It's like we set up these borders, and they're kind of just an arbitrary thing. But then they exist in our mind, and you're like, "I want to be the biggest rapper in Boston," and you're like, "Well, you know, rap is just a small genre of music, and Boston is just a small city." within the you know i guess it's a pretty big city but you know within the grand scheme of the entire world mm -hmm. um not everybody can think as globally as you mary so how do you like really project yourself oh goodness um <laughs> you start gradually you start by playing shows in your own town right um and at some point it's better to stop doing that <laughs> and going out right um and then just play every now and then every few months but not too often right yeah interesting so how uh, how was it like planning your first u.s tour or even leaving germany for the first time well germany wasn't the first place i played i started playing when i was still a teenager in tel aviv uh -huh. and for about one year i kind of played everywhere right. in <laughs> everywhere that was accessible to us because the band i was playing with was quite strange okay so all of the venues were open enough for us we we would play um and then we kind of ran out of places to play and we just we had to leave right and and i wanted to leave the country for the for political reasons because it was just horrible i would constantly end up arguing with strangers on the street yeah i can imagine i've heard of some really difficult experiences and i'm totally downplaying the uh state of of israel and and uh palestine and everything going on there so um but before we leave israel I, I am curious as to what these venues were that your strange band was playing is it was it art galleries what kind of places were opening themselves to you guys well, there were maybe a couple of art galleries we played mm -hmm. but uh but there was one venue in particular which is kind of like the underground venue in tel aviv which i haven't played in years right uh, in fact, I haven't played Israel since my second album came out. Wow. Um, and I'm kind of not even 
I don't know. It's kind of not not on the top of my list at the moment because it seems that generally when you go back to a place you're from, people kind of belittle you, right? Because they just they're used to you and they don't really. It says it in the Bible. <laughs> uh, a uh, what is it? It says something. I mean, I'm not a Bible scholar by any means or <laughs> a big Christian, but it said, uh, you know about Christ when he went back to Nazareth they said uh you know a prophet is never honored in his own land they were like we know your sisters Jesus yeah. we don't you know your sister like dated my brother you know big big shot don't preach to us yeah <laughs> so, yeah that's that's true but yeah friends. i mean um, on another level i think your own hometown doesn't respect you until you've gone out into the world some in some way. But ways this is too. the funny thing. I actually have a really, really wonderful um, network in Berlin. Right. That sort of have been organically building up for the last eight years. Um, there's a lot of support and it's very warm and welcoming. And whenever I play right. a show, I know there's going to be a good crowd. Nice. Um, and there's press and everybody's just really, really kind. But... In Tel Aviv, it seems like they kind of just forgot about me. And right. And when occasionally I try to remind them, hi, I exist and I would like to come and play, um, nobody really wants to have my show. Or basically, I know I could come and play a show, but it will get no advertising. And right. nobody will know about it. So I just kind of decided that maybe it's better yeah. to not force it. Well, I think Berlin is sort of a creative capital. So I'm holding this book, Who's Your City? I haven't read it yet, <laughs> but I found it somewhere. And it says, how the creative economy is making where to live the most important decision of your life. That's interesting. So I think people who d identify as artists and uh, decide to move to some of these creative capitals, maybe it's new york or los angeles or where or berlin or uh, i don't know where else but you know we were talking about manchester earlier and how they were <laughs> a fertile ground for some electronic music scenes so like how do you think that that decision well first of all like what was you know i don't want to shy away from the politics what was really you know what was your kind of what was some of the reasons why you left uh tel aviv and then like you know how did how was that leaving <laughs> experience? Like? Oh, it was wonderful to leave. I recommend it to everybody. Awesome. <laughs> yes. It's xenophobic. It's nationalist. It's racist. You get taught in school that you should kill Arabs. Wow. It's fun. She's being sarcastic, folks. <laughs> um, so, okay, that, that definitely seems like it was apparent to you. That you had to leave. I don't. Uh, I don't know where you were in your life, in your education, <laughs> in your creativity. You were in a band, but you know. So you you left. You you went to Berlin first. Yeah, Berlin was kind of just a very random decision. We didn't know anything about it. We had no friends. Um, and then they went back, and I stayed. Ah, so you left with your bandmates. Okay. So they. I suppose they. They didn't really have a very clear idea of what they wanted to do, but uh -huh. it was pretty obvious to me that I didn't want to go back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so how were those like first few years in Berlin for you and, and trying to be a musician there and, and things like that? Um, I suppose it's always challenging when you're somewhere new and you have to kind of figure out how to pay the rent. And right. I would just 
busk on the streets for like three years and uh-huh. play sometimes four shows a week at any place that would basically just let me play. Sometimes right. they would give me donations, sometimes nothing. Uh-huh. And I would just do it because I, f- I felt that I have to use every single opportunity to reach out to people, to meet new people, to sort of expose new people to, to what I was doing. Right. So I just kept doing it for years until I kind of realized that I don't have to try that hard <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm sure you like really developed your skills. I did some busking kind of for the first time this summer. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how you open yourself up to different people's energies and you know, the audience isn't expecting to see you. They don't necessarily want to hear you. Uh, but, you know, certain people really appreciate you. You know, I had a guy out front of Out of the Blue when we were busking out front roll up in a wheelchair and then stand up and start dancing because we had this big dance party. Wow. And I was like, wow, we gave this guy the ability to walk and dance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so cool. uh, I'm just going to tell the story like that. But um, so what was your, I'm curious as to what your setup on the street was. Oh, it was actually exactly the same that I use live, except for the keyboard. Okay. <laughs> so but yeah, wha- I, I use what this is that? T- I use this tiny amp. It's a Roland. Um, I think it's called Microcube or something oh yeah. like yep, that. The Microcube. Um, and uh, it's very practical. It's very light and very loud. <laughs> Cool. And were you uh, singing uh, strictly or? Uh, well, I, I play guitar and, guitar? Okay. and sing. Okay, cool, cool. And cool. use my tambourine with my foot. Nice. <laughs> um, well, and that and that went on for a few years and then you developed some skills, developed an audience, to, you know, started releasing music. What happened next do you uh, think that brought you out of that phase? I don't think it really happens it's sort of you don't really notice the steps it just kind of happens and then one day you kind of realize that you need to come up with a new strategy okay well um so the new strategy is uh having a band she has a band called your government mary ultra is being called to the stage (laughs) right now so this interview is over but (laughs) look for her on Klungbod (laughs) records faust label self-titled album coming out mary ultra and your government thank you mary oh thank you so much yeah this was fun i learned a lot i'll go and play with some fluffies now
back at East Coast Podcast, also known as Into the Music at Out of the Blue. And we're at the Fall Equinox show featuring Mary Ocher, who you just heard me talk to, and uh, some other amazing acts, including Woody. Uh, That's Woody with two zeros. And how's it going? It's going good. Nice, I'm great set. <laughs> yeah, I I loved it. I have uh, seen you in uh, the Smoky Bear Cave, I believe, uh-huh. and I've seen that was the first time. And then I was actually part of the uh, techno feminism event because I have a vinyl library in Harvard Square, and that was at the Democracy Center, and that's where the discussion was. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw you that night, and that was really amazing too and uh then tonight i was dancing a little bit and uh (laughs) yeah so thanks for that beat yeah sure um so how'd it feel up there i felt good um it's always funny when lights are shining right in your face but it's okay i'm used to it i guess like playing a lot right yeah and i was wondering because the visuals i wanted to like start by talking about your kind of visual element i felt like Sunrad, who was on the uh, visuals, he really reflected kind of this like rainbow at the beginning of your set, at least mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic that I see. And uh, I have the cassette here of R and B W. And is are you pronouncing that rainbow? Is that how it's um, it is whatever. Or? I mean, that's what it uh, stands for. But I mean, I call it R and B W just so it's kind of its own entity as opposed mm-hmm. to like you know specifically a rainbow um but that is like pretty much the whole concept behind it nice. so call it what you will you know it's it's for you to listen to so i thought of r&b when you said r&bw oh like, <laughs> yeah little r&b element yeah i feel like the cover has a sample of uh a picture of the Chuck E. cheese ball pit <laughs> Is that true? Um, yeah, it is. That's you have a good eye. It's um yeah, I like um doing like collages with like old books and magazines and stuff and just cutting out weird pictures and stuff. Like that particular one had this like little girl like in a ball pit. Oh, I just thought nice. it was really funny. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it brings me back to childhood. I, I took a couple of those balls home. <laughs> tried to stick a couple in Chuck E. Cheese's mask. So yeah. it's fond memories. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I I would say, speaking of like childhood, your music has sort of a playful element. I feel like you have a lot of things to play with on stage. Mm-hmm. I can't say I can remember specifically or I've studied your recording enough to know how accurately you're attempting to recreate or do songs the same way. But I imagine they're expansive and using looping can take you in other directions and you can kind of do a lot of improv is that Mm -hmm. is that how you're doing it yeah yeah i mean um i come from a background of like computer music production Mm -hmm. um so like using daws and such to compose music um and it felt like very sterile for me like working in that way because i it didn't feel like it could be a performance it didn't feel like i could like touch things and like have it be tangible um, so like over the years, I just like developed this setup where I really, f- it really feels like interactive uh-huh. and just like having all these routings that get confusing 
a lot, but yeah, I noticed your sixteen channel mixer seemed to be jam packed. Like <laughs> yeah. every channel was used, maybe. There's only one free one. Okay. Wow. Number That's sixteen, it's empty. Nice. Saving it for something <laughs> special. <laughs> maybe, maybe my my MPC drum machine. It's got sixteen pads. Yeah. Maybe compatible. But um. But yeah, no. I liked how you had your laptop under the table, and even though you were using something, I don't know, like DAW something, or uh, you were controlling it from a pad, or mm-hmm. you know, I always like actually the other show Sunrad's band uh, Moltcore was at the other day. Every act I even though I do music and produce and stuff, I couldn't figure out what was going on. LSDB, mm. <laughs> it was like, what are they doing and how are they doing it? So um, I think you kind of have that similar thing going on. And uh, I actually had to take a screen down. We put a second computer in just so I could have the eye contact for this interview. And I feel like that's a good decision on your yeah. part to not have a screen in your face like a lot <laughs> of DJs and maybe producers do. So yeah. How conscious are you of kind of your, not only your visual aesthetic on stage and how you're received, but how you're kind of connecting with the audience and, and like, what do you do to enhance that relationship? Um, I don't really do too much. <laughs> um, I feel like with electronic music, it's like kind of, it's kind of like hard to make it a performance when you're just like focusing on so many technical factors. It's right. like all my attention is like in making the sounds work and stuff. Totally. Um, so I'm not really focused on making it a performance like of like me. It's right. the music like right. speaking for me. Totally. Pretty but, much. But you're still using your voice, of course. Yeah. And have you always kind of been you like, did you start with voice? How did you start in music in general or in s- production and, and stuff? Like, what are your roots? Um, well, I started playing flute when I was seven. Uh, played flute for six years, classically trained. Um, then I started doing classical voice in high school and did that and went to music school for voice and music production. Um, I started producing music when I was 16, um, discovered GarageBand, and began from there pretty much. Started using Logic in college, started using Ableton, dropped Mm. out of college, was like, fuck that, and now here I am just doing my own thing, and I don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. Making stuff happen, I guess. Totally, I mean, I, I know that Boston, I think, can be uh, challenging in different ways. Um, I think, like, the number of people who come here for school or students or people who come here for art school or who are artists and mm-hmm. the fact that there is, like, an active sort of basement scene uh, and alternative venue scene that I think some of that has trickled into Out of the Blue now a bit because you know the complications of having shows at people's houses and whatnot right um so can you kind of talk about how like being in this city has affected like the places you play and like what what your experiences have been kind of with like past shows or just bringing your music out and Mm -hmm. being in some sort of community or scene or do you think it's a scene 
I know that's a lot yeah, of questions. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a scene. There's a really supportive scene here. It's it's just so hard with the lack of venues and just puritanical values of Boston and uh-huh. um it's just really difficult. I live in a show house um and we have to do shows from 8 p.m. to 11 now oh, because right. our neighbors were just like had had enough. Um but luckily we can still do them, but yeah, I mean, it's hard it's hard for like experimental music or music that is like many different genres together. I feel like there's just it can be hard to fit into a scene because my music's not right. quite like techno and like dance music, but it's not quite just like straight up noise. Right. So I've like I've I've like had kind of a hard time like feeling like I fit in in places. Um, yeah. But that's just part of doing it. I think at the uh, Disc Woman event, did you make a comment sort of about that, like trying to find a name or figure out? Because I thought you had mentioned before pop as a term that you use or experimental pop or what was was that it? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think I was just talking about how I felt I feel really pressured to like conform to a genre. Right. Um, because that's like what people want. They want like this certain thing. Right. Um, but I'm personally just really sick of it and just really sick of like doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. Yeah. I mean, I think you know? sometimes it might not even be what the people want necessarily, but sometimes it's like what the infrastructure or what the music right. industry used to be wants. So a club wants to be like tonight's a rock show. Gr- Great Scott Rock is like <laughs> a brand in Boston. It's like, oh, your club just is close to anything that doesn't define itself that way. Like that's how it seems from the outside looking in, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was before I started recording with uh, Mary Ota, she was telling me she came up with new tribalism as a genre for her band, which I guess now that's I know cool. she has two drummers, so I'm sure there's some like tribal oh, drumming. Sweet. My band calls our our genre of music rub rub, and we're the only ones. But I mean, whose job is it to come up with genre names, and who's and why is it an artist's job to conform to them? You know, like yeah. those things are very arbitrary. It seems so. Yeah. Um. So how have you like experienced kind of getting your stuff onto cassette or um on the internet and kind of getting the recorded aspect of your projects? sort of you know into people's hands into people's ears like has Uh, that genre piece been a a a big challenge for that like uh not really i mean um i was initially i was looking for a label to to like release it but Mm -hmm. um i didn't really have too much luck and it's hard because like all the release schedules are all full and like it's just hard when you like don't know too many people out in other places. Right. Um, so I just was like, I'm just gonna self release it, just gonna do everything myself. Nice. Um, which is a really nice way to do it. You get all the income. Yeah. You know, it's just feels really honest and good. And um yeah, it took me like over a year to record everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge project I was working on for a long time and yeah, it like happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty I mean, much. <laughs> I can attest. Uh, I think my bandmate, I was in the studio looking at iTunes, and he has 
you're out. He got the cassette and then I believe a download code. And then I mm-hmm. opened it in iTunes and there's a nice custom kind of background thing that comes up and you know each song which i don't know if our album we we figured that whole like itunes artwork piece but you have the knowledge now to do it yourself and like Mm -hmm. run your own you know whatever you want to call it label release structure and that's a beautiful thing so yeah yeah get it out of the way now that's like you said you dropped out of college but that's its own education you know yeah um so i mean talk about that year of recording the album and figuring out how to get it out like i know you have a couple features on the album were people helping you to record it were you recording everything yourself how to um, go down everything recorded myself in my room nice. with all my recording stuff um and yeah my friend sadie norkin she's um a guitar player singer songwriter um she's really really talented at guitar and voice she does like um like prog music on her own time it's really incredible um and she is just doing like running her guitar through logic and playing with the pedal board oh right pretty much um and yeah i just had her like improv over a couple songs and we did like a lot of live shows together where she'd improv like over my stuff um and then cabal the loke is one actually, of my actually i'm sorry can i interrupt you so yeah. i like to get really nerdy and and use this show uh to gain knowledge for my own processes uh-huh. so let's get deeper into that logic pedal board what are your favorite uh plugins there or, or what did she find that um, worked for her so I, I mean, I was doing my own stuff. This was like on her computer, uh-huh. um, but she had a lot of stuff with like the fuzz pedal, wah nice. pedal. She had a ton of just like she had like a whole chain of pedals. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah, I'm not totally sure what she was using. Yeah, I just like to pick people's brains. Yeah, and, and for people <laughs> listening out there, maybe interested in the Mm -hmm. real secrets i can pull out of people yeah but anyway um you also have kabbalah yeah kabbalah the lok um Mm -hmm. it's one of my other really good friends um he's a rapper does poetry Mm -hmm. plays vibraphone um, which is pretty cool um but yeah he's just doing some spoken word on a song with me and uh he's done live shows with me as well and we Um, we're in this group together called Strange Prophecy. Um, nice name. We played like a few shows here and there, but uh-huh. it was kind of like a really loose thing. Um, but yeah, so cool. it's really good to have my friends on there and you know support each other. And yeah, and it yeah. seems like your friends are empowered in a similar way of like being able to you know if he's a rapper make his own vibraphone beat or you know <laughs> uh, Sadie. Sadie? Yeah. Yeah, record herself and, ha- you know, so it's a really unique time uh, as far as, like, the recording arts and just people having access to equipment and information. Right, yeah. and It's like an, an Aquarian age, I like to say. Yeah. Mystic Crystal Revelations. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think you have a unique style too uh like oh, of dress and uh <laughs> and adornment if you will uh does where's that come from i don't know <laughs> i don't know man 
But what about um, that gold necklace I'm admiring yeah, or bronze? Um, it's it, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, it's it's um this artist in Atlanta made it. She nice. like does all like like handmade like metal jewelry. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I got it like many years ago in Atlanta and just fell in love with it and wear it all the time like to shows and stuff it's just like fun cool well i want to thank you so much for (laughs) coming by and kind of giving us a peek into like your process and um you know i think you have a really strong and uh engaging live show and i think everybody out there should should check you out at some point um so what shows do you have coming up um mm-hmm. well i'm hosting a show at my house this weekend um it's the smoky bear cave if any of you are familiar um and, and it's gonna be fly herder from philadelphia's the touring band uh-huh. like a duo they do like electronic stuff um and then it's gonna be me and um spacing out I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think this podcast is going to hit the internet before that show. Oh, yeah. So okay. I, I, but I do have heard some rumblings of uh, potential shows with you later in October, maybe. You got anything coming up? Like, oh, maybe? yeah, yeah. I'm playing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, which is a party that happens at Great Scott every month. Okay. Um, so I'm playing that and, and so great Scott is open to more than just r- traditional rock. Yeah. Even though they brand themselves otherwise sometimes yeah. they All do a right. uh, cool DJ stuff. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that. There's going to be, it's going to be an all female lineup, all female DJs. And I'm going to do live set. Nice. And then in November, I'm going down to Baltimore to play an event called girl power. Um, which is like an all-female empowerment um, event that happens at this venue called The Crown, which is a great place. Awesome. Yeah, I'm from I'm from Maryland originally, so it's always good to go back and yeah, you know, chill yeah. at my parents' house. Totally. <laughs> That's sweet. So, um, uh, yeah. Before we finish, I, I just want to let the listeners know I didn't choose Woody and Mary Ocher because there were women. It's just I knew of Woody and her, you know, past, and Mary's from Berlin. She might not be back for a while, but you are choosing to consciously and other promoters are putting together these all-women events, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was part of, you know, witnessing this amazing uh, event with Disc Woman from New York and some female producers from Boston. Uh, we had DJ Dayglow of Pink Noise and Bat House and uh, Isabella. And uh, so can you talk a little bit about like, maybe that, like your memories from kind of that whole day of events or just like how you feel when you come together and you're able to like build alliances um, with other artists that are female? Um, it's been really great. It's been really empowering. Um, I've definitely experienced a lot of sexism, just like people thinking I don't know what I'm doing and stuff like, like, oh, you sure you know how to set up all your equipment? Like, yeah, I think I can do it. (laughs) 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 You know, I booked um, a show. (laughs) 
Yeah, just like yeah, one time this this bought guy equipment and just booked a show. I don't yeah, know what I'm doing. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, one time this guy was like, I I put tape on all my cables, like different color tape, so I know right. they're they're my cables because uh-huh. I need all of them. Yeah, definitely. And um, <laughs> and yeah, this this like this sound guy was like, was like, oh, you should put different color tape so you know where they all go. And I'm like. I know where they all right. go without doing that. It's just like stupid <laughs> stuff like that. So it's been really, really great to just like meet other women who are doing this stuff. Cause I feel like we're, we were all just like, not like involved with each other at all. Like before, like all these events started happening and right. now it's just like, yeah, we're all coming together and, and play music and stuff and it's really empowering and yeah <laughs> that's sweet uh, yeah awesome it's good. yeah yeah all right well it's sweet. definitely a step in the right direction and it can only get better from there definitely so. yeah and your life can get better if you check out rnbw at <laughs> woody with two zeros dot bandcamp.com and uh Come check out one of those shows. And, uh, yeah, I want to thank you. How did you like Out of the Blue as a venue? Is this your first time? Um, well, this is my first time playing. It's great. Um, I've been here. Last time I was here was last year when it ju- when you guys just started doing shows. Nice. Um, and it's definitely grown a lot. It's really cool to see how all the art exhibits have developed and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it's just like a really great place to have shows and I'm really thankful that there's another place that we can do this because, um, initially, uh, Anna Volley, who is part of Ghost Machine Noise, who played tonight, she asked if we could do it at my house and I was like, well, I don't know like how much money we can get married because she came all the way out here. Um, it's really important that we pay her well because she is a long way to go. Yeah. Um, and just like man like it's hard we can only do it till 11 p.m so i'm really glad this worked out and that you guys can host other people too who need a space because there's so many people who need a space to play totally yeah it's it's very fertile ground i've only had a podcast for a week we already have a video guy yeah Uh, so (laughs) i'm glad that i'm here and uh being able to kind of document what's going on here that's like really part of the inspiration for this show is if you're not here on the night of the show you can still find out about the artists find out about their next show find out about their recordings and um so yeah i'm glad you had a good time and yeah thank I you could be part of it um so yeah thank you to woody <laughs> and <laughs> um goodbye internet <laughs> this has been the peace coast podcast <laughs> into the music at out of the blue peace coast
Ooh. 